This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's time! It's time! It's time! And time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. Hey! Beautiful people. Hopefully have a great Saturday morning under the dome with CD. It's a new time. Yes, it is. It is a wonderful Louisiana Saturday morning. We're on going forward from 9 to 11. So if I'm just a little too darn loud, turn it up even louder. Under the dome with CD officially underway. And we're coming to you live, as always, from the beautiful, palatial, first South Farm Credit Studios. And, of course, appreciate you listening in. Be it through that old-school FM dial. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place. Oh, yeah, brother. And, of course, appreciate you listening in. If you're listening through the .com, the free mobile app for iPhone, Android. I don't think Windows Phone or BlackBerry is going to help you out from that aspect. But we got a lot to get to on this Louisiana Saturday afternoon, and also the smart speakers as well. I keep forgetting about those people that out there out there having those smart speakers. As you heard during that little liner before we get started with the show, you can listen to us that way. But there's only one way to make your voice heard here on the station, besides my voice, and that is dialing us up at three three seven seven zero six zero one 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 three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. But we're going to go ahead and start things off with what's causing all this and the biggest story of the day, probably the entire week here in the Acadiana area. And we'll do that the only way we know how with the Saturday Sports Sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. And of course, we all kind of knew this day was coming, right? Maybe not this season, but a couple years down the road. But I felt like it was going to happen before, as the season ended. I told y'all something like this would happen as far back as probably mid to late April. I wound up looking back in my archives of dates we've been on air. And ironically, the day that I'm kind of pointing to as a date that kind of marked my thoughts beginning about his future, and that is Paul Maneri's future at LSU, started making me think about it. His, the heartbreaking loss and the, and the emotions that he was going through that particular day after a, another gut-wrenching, gut-punch of a loss. It made me start to think, I think he's calling it a career when it's all said and done. He just doesn't feel like he has that, that fastball anymore. I was just more surprised by the fact that it happened on a Friday before Selection Monday. But again, Maneri didn't look like the same guy that we've seen 
win national championships, win SEC championships, and more importantly, get this team to Omaha. The longtime head coach called it a career not long after cracking the 1,500 win mark over the course of his impressive career, not just at LSU but at Notre Dame and a bunch of other stops in between here and there. And the press conference around 4.30 began in its opening statement, which lasted about, I'd say, 20 minutes, if not more. It was damn near half hour, no that much. But his opening statement was sobering to hear, everything about it. He wore his emotions on his sleeve, and it was unreal. There were several moments where he had to pause in order to collect his emotions as he talked about his health, his former players, and his entire career. And one of the big takeaways I had, just in terms of a quote, was him and regret. And he had regretted not winning another national title since 2009. He said, quote, we never won another national championship, and that was disappointing to me. And I feel like I let down a lot of people by not doing that. But it certainly wasn't because of a lack of effort. It was because we had great, we didn't have great teams. Alex Bregman came in here, and I love that kid like a son. And it kills me that we didn't have a championship win when he was here. And I have to agree with him. It was disheartening to see LSU not win a national championship with with Antoine Duplantis, Alex Bregman. The list goes on and on and on. I mean, I can think Alex Lang, you know, Aaron Nola, those guys, guys who are just absolute icons in the game when it comes to LSU baseball. Maybe not to the level of, you know, Warren Morris. Maybe not to the level of Ben McDonald and Albert Bell. But they're guys that resonate. They're guys that stand out. And that's what stands out to me. Is you missed out on a lot of opportunities to win multiple national titles because you had so much talent, especially in those mid-2010 years. It just didn't work out for one reason or another. Be it, you know, you play a UCLA team that was stacked with Trevor Bauer and Garrett Cole on the same team, or you lose to eventual national champion Coastal Carolina. I was at North Carolina, but no Coastal before they made their way over to the Sun Belt Conference, or what have you. It's amazing to see all the talent they've had and all the talent that, more importantly, I talked about this with Jim Gazzola yesterday, re-recruited. He didn't. He got these guys to stick around despite their potential opportunities to make it in the major leagues and make a decent paycheck. He convinced them to bounce back and come back stronger than ever. He was able to have some really great teams. In fact, he was only one game short of winning his second national title. Would it have made him retiring a little bit better? Maybe. But I feel like he'd still say, I didn't win enough national titles because he's always going to wind up trying to chase one man, and we'll get to that in a minute. But over the last like couple months, I've been hearing people talk about you know their decisions to retire. And I've heard one word be mentioned a lot. Parody. And not you know Saturday Night Live parodying anything, but people never want to become a parody of themselves. Or just stop being fun. That's exactly how it felt for Paul Maneri. His neck injury morphed into something entirely different. And it affected the way that he handles his day-to-day business. Not just on the field in terms of being a manager and a coach and a leader of young men. But also just his normal life. It's something that just affected him every single day. 
And there's not a doubt in my mind that was the reason that he decided to retire. I also think that the underperforming was eating at him as well because Maneri, more than anything, was a tireless competitor and still is probably to this very day, even after announcing his retirement at the conclusion of this baseball season. It is also chasing the, the approval of one man. I mean, that was the man that absolutely helped revolutionize college baseball at LSU and nationwide. And more importantly, the man that helped bring him to Baton Rouge in the first place in Skip Burtman. At the end of the day, you know, Burtman, a man that was profiled on the SEC Network this past Monday with a documentary called Hold the Rope, which was fantastic, by the way. He had to have been happy with the man that brought this team to a national title within his first three years at LSU, especially after the Smoke Laval era like could have very well undone the legacy that Paul Benary, excuse me, Skip Burtman had built. And it's a lot like what we saw whenever Skip Burtman decided to retire from coaching baseball. We're all feeling like good old no-show Jones. We're talking about George Jones right now. They're wondering, who is going to fill his shoes? And I'm not going to tell you a prediction, give you a hot take about who they should hire, because I have no idea. I'm not the, I'm not a guy that's going to want to probably go into great detail about, about who, the where, the when type thing. I'm never going to be that guy. But I can tell you what kind of qualities that, ne- co- that next coach will need to have in order to be the guy at LSU, especially LSU baseball, where the expectations for this program are sky high. And justifiably so because of Maneri and Skip and the legacy that they had at LSU. And I think it's a reputation for winning. Skins on the wall and a pedigree that says you can be you are one of the top coaches in the country right now today. And I saw so I heard somebody yesterday bring up Blake Dean. I think that'd be a great hire. But at the end of the day, does he really fit any of those check marks? UNO blew a, I think, a 10-1 lead the other day in the Southland Conference, in their tournament, in their conference tournament. Blake Dean is a great guy. I don't necessarily know if that's going to work out. Drew Bianco, Mike Bianco, excuse me. Does he become the Ole Miss head coach? Does he jump over and join the Evil Empire in the minds of Ole Miss fans? I don't necessarily think so because I'm sure that's something that Bianco has thought about, but he's probably not going to do, at least not right now in my mind. Because I don't think he – it's not knocking against his son or anything, but he just doesn't want to be that guy coaching his son up because of the implication of him getting a little bit more preferential treatment. I Again, I'm assuming that's what he's talking about when it comes right down to it and the why. But, of course, I think that it's going to be somebody either from the SEC East, be it Florida's head coach, maybe you could somehow, someway be able to finagle one last run out of Tim Corbin with this team coming back in 2022. Or you go with somebody from TCU and Jim Schlossnagel, he's going to be a guy that I think is going to get a lot of run this offseason, and you got to try and shoot your shot as quickly as possible because you already have two teams from the state of Texas 
in A&M and Rice, two really historic baseball programs, they could very well be a guy, team that, that's going to take and poach somebody like a Schlossnagel or somewhere else along the line. You've got to wind up finding your right guy. And I have trust in Scott Woodward. A lot like how I've mentioned before, I have trust in Dr. Brian Maggard to be able to get his guy whenever that day comes that he needs to get somebody else to be the leader in the clubhouse for Cajuns football whenever Billy Napier does indeed leave, whenever Bob Marlin leaves. My job, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, especially how he's been working the transfer market as of late. There's no doubt in my mind that Scott Woodward is the guy that's going to get the best possible candidate. This isn't going to be, oh, hey, we go ahead and give it to the guy second in command or we go to option E in our decision-making. He's going to go ahead and try his damnedest to get option A. Case in point, look at the hires that he made this past offseason in football that he helped make, I should say. Look at the hire that he just made a couple months ago in Kim Mulkey. He turned that women's basketball program into a, from an afterthought into an absolute mammoth and a top draw in the SEC where it just means more. So trust me, there's no doubt in my mind they'll get the right man, or in the case of Kim Mulkey, the right woman for the job. All right, let's go out to the 103.7 The Game hotline. Maybe we'll get some thoughts on Paul Maneri. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Good morning, man. What's up, Gordon? How you doing? I'm doing good, Chad. What's up, brother? Not too Hey, Hey, Clint, you, you, you'd be crazy if you don't think this has been in the works for a month or so. Uh, I've been saying it since, uh, like, uh, Scott has... I've been saying Scott this since April. Been automation calls and everything. This is they've been knowing about this, yeah. man. I guarantee it. It was strategically put out yesterday. Just uh, I think just sort of feel good, so we can maybe make the tournament. Yeah, uh, no, exactly. All strategically planned. Go ahead. No, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. I I was saying largely. I felt like it was already kind of pre-planned. Obviously, Benieri's not going to say that in his press conference. Right. That happened Absolutely. yesterday. I feel like for me. This has had to have been because Woodward, just based off of the the recent track record, look at what happened with LSU women's basketball. Conveniently, you see Nikki Fargus get a job with the I think it's Las Vegas Aces, right? WNBA is helping mm-hmm. within the front office, not really coaching anymore. She find she she conveniently finds that job, and within a week, you've already got Kim Mulkey lined up, ready to go. You you drop the news on a Friday officially. By three days later, somehow, some way, you managed to get a new head coach at LSU. Con- coincidence? Right. I don't right. think so. Yeah, man. I think this is going to take a little bit longer time. Uh, no, obviously. LSU leads the nation. LSU leads the nation in attendance for the last I don't know ten years. Uh, this isn't going to be an easy job or role to fill. Uh, but uh, man, I, I like the TCU coach, but you never know, man. I, I guarantee you Scott's got a couple guys that he's going to go after, man. But anyway, enjoy the show, buddy. Thank you. I appreciate that, Chad. And, and for me, like I bring up Jim Schlossing large because I feel like he's going to be somebody that they try and go after first. And I'll say this about the entire situation with Paul Benary and Nikki Fargus. I mean, you can't compare the two. But I am going to say this about the, the situation. And I think that you have LSU, they have to figure it out quickly because before you know it that coaching carousel that we always talk about it could be like the script could be flipped over 
And next thing you know, we're talking about what's going to happen next with LSU baseball. With LSU baseball, what's going to happen going forward. Because I want to see somebody that's going to be the right person for the job. And I think they will get the right person for the job. Jim Schlossnagel is not my pick to click, but he's at least somebody that I'm thinking about that feels like could be a lot more feasible. Of course, it's all about what happens with those other programs from Texas because Texas already has two openings to like pretty high-profile programs, like I mentioned earlier. Those are going to be something you have to keep an eye That's something you're going to have to go keep an eye on in the long term. We're going to take a quick timeout. We've got uh, Cam Rogers joining the program in about 10 minutes. We'll have a quick little segment to talk about the Cajuns and LSU on the football front. But if you want to keep getting your shots up about the LSU Tigers, we'll get to those next right here on 103.7 The Game, 103.7thegame.com. We're past due for a break. Back after this. CD may be considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay up there, I'm starving. Now back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back Under the Dome with CD. We got Cam Rogers coming up in about seven minutes or so. We're going to get into the conversation about what's going on with the PGA, what the PGA Championship this past weekend. And more importantly, the rivalry between, I'd say, my mind, the undisputed Blake of the year in Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau. Those two have been butting heads in the video they got leaked over this past week. And as well as, you know, the match play and the missed opportunity to put those two in a foursome, that would be a whole hell of a lot of fun. But, you know, it is what it is. That's what. Golf does sometimes, but we're going to talk about that and so much more. Cam Rogers joined the program about 10 minutes in at 11.30. We're going to bring on, excuse me, 10.30. I'm trying to get used to this 9 to 11 stuff. Last week we were on from 10 to noon because of a first cup going an extra hour. More importantly, this is going to be an extra uh, 9 to 11 show. And then after that, we got CBS Sports Radio. But don't you worry, we're not done with the live and local programming just because the clock strikes 11 a.m. Because we got all kinds of great stuff for you. On the front of Houston Astros baseball, the San Diego Padres are in action. Oh, one of our loyal listeners is actually out there, is out in H-Town, getting ready to see the Astros take on the Padres after an extra innings war. We'll probably talk about it at the end of the hour. But you'll hear that right here on 103.7 The Game later this afternoon. I believe this will be a 2.35 pregame, 3.10 first pitch, and then it'll be on Sunday a 1 o'clock first pitch, and then 3 10 first pitch on Monday. So you only have an hour of the Jordy Holtberg Show on Memorial Day. So get ready for that. An hour straight of sports talk leading up to Houston Astros baseball on a Monday afternoon. Nothing quite like it. But I got a call right as we went to break, and that's from Jordan. And he mentioned that he wanted to know what my thoughts are on what the potential salary for one like the future head coach of LSU baseball will be. And I'm almost certain that I'll throw the money at, I'll throw a range out there. Maybe it's a little too much to some, but I'll just go ahead and throw the number out there. Five to 10 million, I think is where that's going to go. Because at the end of the day, if you want to get your man in the case of LSU baseball, you've got to pay 
up a good bit of money, especially if you want to get the top-tier talent. That's the big thing here. This isn't, oh, hey, let's go ahead and get, you know, Blake Dean or, you know, I'm, I'm going to go off top here, you know, Justin Hill, somebody like McNeese State head coach, where you could probably get him, relatively speaking, on the cheap because people would want to go over, because those coaches would, would kill to go over there to be at that high level and work with those kind of talents. It is absolutely going to be cash money, like five to ten million dollars to secure it. Here's the thing: LSU somehow, some way, they're going to get their guy and be able to spend the money because they spent a good bit of money, relatively speaking, of course, to get Kim Mulkey aboard. Don't be surprised if they do, if they do the same thing for somebody of the ilk. Like we've seen with, you know, head coach Paul Maneri, Ed Ogeron. You're going to have to pay a good bit of money to get some high-quality people in there. That's just how it's going to be. Meanwhile, I want to get to something else real quick before we take a quick timeout, and that is the Cajuns have six asterisk football games that are going to be national broadcast. Why I say six is one of those is a technically, and that is, Going to be the matchup between the Cajuns and Nickel State. It's going to be on ESPN 3. That's stuff you can only get on your computer, not television. I get where they're coming from, but it's only kind. It's a, hey, it's a, it's a workaround. It's not like how we saw LSU. Oh, yeah, they got, they're open the season with three straight primetime games. One of them is on the SEC Network Plus and ESPN Plus, and that's a matchup against McNeese State. Hopefully that game does happen. We all know what happened the last time these two faced off. We saw it rain. It'll be Cody Ogeron taking on his dad, Ed Ogeron, who's the head coach for the Tigers, obviously. But all starts off for the Cajuns. I love the fact that this is actually how it worked out. It's a doubleheader. Your TV is going to be locked in on Cajuns, Texas, then LSU-UCLA. 3.30 Central Time on Fox, and then a little late-night action around like 7.30. I cannot wait. I cannot wait for the the season to start for the Cajuns because this is ample opportunity. And the fact that this is going to be two nationally ranked teams in my mind preseason. If the Cajuns aren't ranked, I will I will yell at, I will have full blown anarchy on the show. I will blow up on the show. Not spontaneous combustion wise, but I will be absolutely livid if we don't see that. And that's not Homer Radio. That's not me being, you know, a guy that spews vermilion and white pumping sunshine. It's factual. I understand it's a different year now. It, things are going to be back to normal, a, re- a normal regular season. But there's no way you can you can justifiably put LSU after a five and five season in the, top, in the preseason top twenty five just based off of an eye test. I'm sorry. And I also want to bring this up now that I'm largely done talking about the Cajun schedule. They also play Ohio on ESPN on like a Thursday night. It's dumb seeing these Thursday games. They have a Tuesday night game and another Thursday night game in in November. They have one against uh, App State on Tuesday, October twelfth, and November fourth against Georgia State. And then they'll wrap up their you know nas- those nationally televised games on a Thursday night against Arkansas State on the twenty first of October on ESPNU. Meanwhile, I got a call yesterday from our guy V. Regular caller, and he wanted me to apologize. I don't own up to you know the whole thing with TJ Finley. I said he wasn't going to be good enough to be at an SEC program. 
I'll say I was wrong and V was right in that sense. But I'll also add this caveat, V, and I hope you're listening. I hope you're listening. I hope you're doing well, man. He hasn't won the quarterback job yet. He could very well be a guy that just, like, rides a pine. Nothing wrong with that. But he's got to prove it. He's going to be against Bo Nix, and this might be the motivation that Bo Nix needs after a sophomore slump to be a guy that can be a really good junior and very well could be a top level. Like, I'd say if he has a really good, like, junior season, I wouldn't be surprised if he's going to be, like, a day one. I'm not saying number one pick. No, no, no. But I'm saying a late first-round pick in the 2022 NFL draft because I think Bo Nix has that potential. We saw it his freshman year. If he had a really good sophomore season, then we could say he's going to wind up being a first-round pick. And if he really does well, gets his team to 9-10 wins, then we'll talk about how this Auburn team is going to fare in the future with with Hartson because that's the big thing for me. We're seeing Boise State's head coach take over that program. This isn't going to be, you know, your Malzahn era Auburn team where you see them one year they wind up putting together nine, ten wins, and the next year they fall underneath, and every other year we wonder when the buyout is going to happen. But now we're going to get to the 1037 game hotline real quick before we hit the timeout and then get our guy Cam Rogers aboard the show. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Yes, sir. Good morning. Hey. Real quick, okay, you, you're talking about Finley and Bo Nix. Um, I, I guess the same could be said about Finley, you know, having that competition that yeah. he may step up and take that starting job from Bo Nix. And, and also, I just don't see Bo Nix being a first-day, a, a first-round draft pick unless he has a seriously, seriously good season with Auburn in his yeah. junior or senior year. I just do not see talent's there for a first-round draft pick. And I'm with you. I think, Do that, you? No. Uh, that's, what you've seen so far. What I saw his freshman year really made me think that he could, like, obviously he needs to be over the course of a three years, but that's what I'm saying. If he puts together a phenomenal season and this motivates him to become like another level, he, beca- he winds up putting together a really good junior season, I wouldn't be surprised. Again, we saw Trey Lance, a guy from North Dakota State, get picked in the top three, a guy who played – FCS football get picked at number three in the NFL draft. We saw five quarterbacks get picked. Obviously, it's all about how the market works out, and more importantly, how many any teams need quarterbacks in 2021. At the end of the day, you know we don't know what these quarterback how these quarterbacks could pan out. But look at you know case in point. A few years ago, we had like five quarterbacks get drafted. I think Josh Allen's the only one that's been halfway decent in the NFL. And that is true. That is true. But those weren't all they, – they weren't all drafted in the first round, those five. Yeah. I'm with so, you. Because I've gone off of the first round comment, and it's like, hey, there's no way. He may make it into the NFL. There's no, no yeah. doubt there. But first round, I just don't see it. it it's way too early. But I appreciate the call, though, man. I appreciate the call. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. If you want to get your opinions on that, call in after our next segment. Cam Rogers will talk some – NF, some golf. Let's talk a little NFL as well because he's a Baltimore Ravens fan. Crab cakes and football and golf. That's what our guy Cam Rogers does. And we'll get to that next right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. The fan.
famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United, suppose. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you, as always, from the First South Farm Credit Studios. Hopefully, you have a good Saturday morning. And we got to kind of get into what's going on with the PGA. The PGA Championship was this past weekend. Phil Mickelson defying age and everything else in between winning the PGA Championship this past weekend, but also a budding rivalry between Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau. And to do that, we got to get our golf guy aboard the program. He's on the 1037 Game Hotline right now, and that is Cam Rogers, part of the Tiger Woods Podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. Cam, how's it going, brother? CD, what's going on, my friend? It has been a very eventful week in the game of golf, needless to say. That's an absolute understatement. We'll kind of start off with the PGA Championship. I was blown away heading into the final day. Phil Mickelson was still in contention. You know, sometimes you'll see somebody who you don't expect at all to be in contention. Fast forward to Sunday, that final round, he was poised to do it, and Brooks kept obviously kind of fell apart towards the end as well. How blown away were you by Phil Mickelson's performance? As I mentioned, defying age and beating Father Time, winning the PGA Championship at the ripe old age of 50. Yeah, you know what? It was truly amazing because I this is a nice microcosm of just how random and volatile the game of golf be. Phil Mickelson entering the PGA Championship CD had zero, zero top 20 finishes on the PGA Tour. His last top 10 at a major championship was 2016. He was 176 on the PGA Tour in strokes gained Peter Green. I mean, there was zero reason to be on Phil Mickelson other than sentimental value, if you're talking about placing a bet or something like that. He was like 250 to 1 to win the PGA Championship. So he shows up plays well, hangs around, right, around the weekend time, Saturday afternoon, you think maybe he's going to fall back, all off, red couples at the Masters, something like that. But no, he hung in tight in very difficult conditions, beating out a couple of major champions in their own right, Brooks Kepka and Louis Ustase. And so, look, it almost doesn't seem real, even a week away. Just thinking back that Phil Mickelson won another major championship of contending at any of these meetings. And really, let's be real, not having good stats going into this tournament. So it was truly amazing, and I think this will propel him to have a very good summer on the PGA Tour. I would hope so, because obviously Phil Mickelson is just a legend in the game, and no doubt in my mind that he has performed at a very high level for a long time. But you can about imagine one of his, not, not quite better rivals, I, I wouldn't think these two are better rivals, but somebody like a Tiger Woods, who's obviously been rehabbing, it'll be a good while before we see him. But after right. what he saw probably over this past weekend, do you think that gave Tiger Woods a little bit more itch to get back at it? I will say that on your very airwaves. I believed it before even the Phil Mickelson triumph there at the Ocean Course. But, yeah, that certainly helps you would think, right? I mean, Tiger Woods is not very on social media, but after Phil won that TGA, there were about nine or ten exclamation points on his tweet congratulating Phil Mickelson. So Tiger Woods shows the personality on Twitter, all right? You know, he really felt the energy around that victory for Phil. So, look, I think he's going to come back for sure 
in terms of a timeline, perhaps a 2022, late 2022, early 2023, something along those lines. But we're talking about a guy who perhaps is the greatest to ever walk this earth in terms of the game of golf. And to be a professional athlete in general, Phoebe, you have to have an ego. And you have to believe you are the best to get to that level. And when you are the best ever, there's no way you want to go out with the way in which Tiger Woods did with that car crash. He's coming back at some point. That Phil victory certainly helped his decision-making, I would think. Oh, there's no doubt in my mind. But, you know, Cam, looking at what Phil Mickelson did over the weekend, it was obviously overshadowed by, I think, something that we're going to get into in a moment, and that is the whole Brooks Kepka Bryson DeChambeau kind of moment that happened that got leaked. First off, before we get into the actual beef and the history behind it, how did this whole thing come about? How did this thing get leaked to the Twitter sphere on like a Monday night and everybody was talking about it? Let me give you a little inside scoop here because my co-host on the Tiger Woods podcast used to work for Golf Channel for many years. So she knew sort of, first of all, who did it? She didn't give me any names and I don't even want to go there. But also, like, how it happened. So there's this feed that all of the, shall we say, video content goes to, whether it goes to air or not. And then eventually people in the truck will clip up parts of that feed because not everything will go to air, of course. Somehow, some way, somebody saw that Brooks Kepka reaction to Bryson and was like, hey, you got to click this, clip this up because it was pretty hilarious. And, you know, maybe we'll laugh about it in the truck later or something like that. So maybe they clip it up. Somehow it gets leaked to social media. I don't know how that leaking part actually happened, but that's sort of the backstory in terms of how this video came about. Somebody thought it was interesting. It got clipped up, leaked to the social media sphere, if you will, Twitter, Facebook, what have you, and we're off to the races. You know, Twitter and 2021 will do a thing with things going viral pretty darn quickly. So that's sort of how it all came about. And then, of course, we're all talking. Talk right now, Cam Rogers, the Tiger Woods podcast, part of the Belief Podcast Network. And obviously, that thing got leaked. And I like the way you put it, because to me, it feels like maybe whatever you used to go back in the day, you used to have like satellite and certain bands of it would wind up getting you these like obscure channels to where you could have that kind of footage. This is basically what it sounds like to me, that kind of stuff happened. But obviously, this isn't the first time Kepka and DeChambeau have had beef. This was kind of that, that boiling point that got everybody talking about the fact Kepka and DeChambeau, like, these guys are absolutely just flat out hate each other. This is so unique because we never have this in golf, right? We can get this in basketball, football, but golf is this buttoned up, high decorum sport. Like, you don't get these sorts of answers on social media and these sorts of reactions from players, specifically with Brooks Kepka toward Bryson DeChambeau. So when everybody saw that video, I mean, that is a raw reaction from Brooks toward Bryson. He does not like him. Now, I will say, CD, I think it's more, shall we say, 70% Bryson, or excuse me, 70% Brooks hating Bryson and maybe 30% Bryson hating Brooks. Like, Brooks just kind of seems like a whiner. And he doesn't like the media talking about him a lot. And he's got to have a thin skin here and there. And so, for some reason, the way in which Bryson DeChambeau plays golf does not sit well with Brooks. And I think, really, it boils down to this. Bryson is very technical. He crunches the numbers. He has his unique style. And he wins. 
and he's a major champion. Brooks is a field player, grip it and rip it. I'm not technical. I'm going to play my own game, and I don't care if I have a knee injury. I'm still going to finish inside the top three at a major championship, which is what he just did at the PGA. So two totally different guys. Both can crank it out there with their drivers, and for some reason, I think, Brooks just finds Bryson to be, let's face it, kind of a tool. <laughs> and uh, so we have this sort of rivalry now. Uh, look, I think it's really interesting because it sort of happens at the same time that the match was announced with Bryson involved. You find it very intriguing that uh, we have all this fodder now. You have to also factor in that the PGA Tour is now rewarding players for being more active on social media. So there's a monetary incentive for Bryson and Brooks to go at each other on Twitter, for example. But it's all very fun. I really don't have one side sort of figured out or the other, if you will, in terms of the inner workings. Like, I truly don't know at the end of the day why they dislike each other, but those are just my theories. I'd agree with you, Cam. And, you know, you kind of were looking at my notes, I think, whenever you brought up the match. It's obviously you got Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers on one side, then it's Phil Mickelson, and I was blown away the fact we did not get a Brooks Koepka, Bryson DeChambeau pairing. Obviously, this is more the fact that Mickelson had just won the PGA Championship and they wanted to give him this moment, but it felt like like the fact that you see this on like a Monday, the news or the video Mm. drop on a Monday night, and they could have had time to go ahead and say, let's go ahead and, and kind of veer off course a little bit because we want to try and strike while the iron is hot and get the biggest rivalry going in sports in a foursome. Because, you know, that would draw a ton of eyes and a ton of money towards the product. Look, absolutely. I think the fact that Brooks Kepka is not involved in the match is indicative of the authenticity of this hatred. Because, look, if they really are mad at each other and don't like each other, they wouldn't be involved. So... At the end of the day, I think it's going to be a lot of fun without Brooks Kepka. although it is interesting. I was looking at social media posts. Everybody's commenting, where's Brooks? Where's Brooks? Where's Brooks? Look, guys, that wasn't going to happen from the beginning. Phil Mickelson sort of spearheads these matches, by the way. And I like having Phil involved. He's fun. So it's going to be really intriguing to watch because you have alternate shots, right? So you'll have Bryson bombing it out there off the tee. Aaron Rodgers will have to have his wedge game pretty pristine, shall we say, because he'll have 100-yard shots into these greens because Bryson will crank it out there 350 yards. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be really intriguing. Tom Brady is a good golfer in his own right. Bill Mickelson, obviously, is now a reigning PGA champion, so he'll bring his game. I think the timing of it is a little odd. CD, it's July 6th. It's like, why not make it July 5th, which is like the quote-unquote federal holiday for July 4th, because yeah. the 4th is on a Sunday, right? So, And it's at like 5 o'clock Eastern. I know a lot of people are still working from home, but anyway, I digress. It's going to be a great time. Really excited to watch it. Oh, no, I'm absolutely just overjoyed we're going to wind up getting something like that. But I think the other question is, like, I think I want to get back to the PGA Championship right now. And the thing yeah. that I was thinking about was this was a lot earlier than it normally is. Obviously, it is a Ryder Cup year. you got the Olympics going on. That's going to be happening not too far down the road. you got a lot of other things going on. But do you think the PGA is trying to kind of reschedule things and rearrange things to where their season's largely done in the month of September so they don't have to compete with the NFL and college football in terms of being able to keep get, get eyes on the product? 
Look, I'm not going to lie. Back in the day when we had the other schedule, I would skip the FedEx Cup playoffs to watch my Baltimore Ravens. I mean, that's just how it was. So the PGA Tour understood that. The NFL is king. You cannot compete with the National Football League. So they made this change. Bring the PGA Championship to May. Push the Players' Championship to March, right? And then you wrap up the season with the FedEx Cup playoffs before the NFL season gets going. Of course, there's no major in August anymore, but you know what? I really do like how this is all set up because we're talking about the U.S. Open in just a couple of weeks. Like, this is the heat of the golf season right now. Wrap it up, put a bow on it before the NFL starts. I think that's how it should be. And look, there is still golf in the fall if you still really want it, but you get it all out of the way before the NFL in terms of the big-time events. I really do like how it's all set up and Thank the Lord that the PGA Tour did such a great job coming back after the shutdown. I mean, credit to Jay Monahan and his leadership to bring back the PGA Tour before any other major sport. And I think that's why we have so much energy around the game in terms of playing it, but also watching it. And we have these great content creators now, like Brooks and Bryson, that really fire up the fan base out there. So it's all a beautiful thing. All right, you brought up the fact you're a Ravens fan. I'll kind of end on this. What are your expectations for the Ravens in this 2021 season? And obviously it's going to be a very competitive AFC North with the Steelers still having Ben Roethlisberger running things. Then you've got the Cleveland Browns. They're going to be a team to watch. And obviously you've got the Cincinnati Bengals, Joe Burrow in year two. He looks to be fully back by the time we get to September. What are the expectations right now for you as a Ravens fan? I wake up every day thankful for Lamar Jackson. That I will tell you because he has brought us so much happiness and wins and playoff appearances. Things are looking dicey toward the end of the Joe Flacco era. Look, the AFC North is going to be competitive. It always is. The Browns have a really good offensive line, good run game, and Baker is a nice compliment to that offense there. We'll see what happens with Ben Roethlisberger. I think the jury is still out in terms of when he will actually retire Ike Taylor, who is actually on the network CD, predicts this will be his last year. We shall see. But I think the Steelers will be in hotly competition this coming year. And then the Bengals will be competitive, too. Look, I think they've made some mistakes in the past with their draft picks. Certainly not Joe Burrow, I'll tell you that. But they need to protect him. That offensive line has been awful in pass protection the last couple of years. So we'll see what happens there. But I like my Ravens. I think we'll be okay. I'm still kind of holding out hope for Julio Jones. We need that big boy basketball go up and get it wide receiver. We don't have him right now. We haven't had one, honestly, since Anquan Bolden when, of course, we won the Super Bowl with him. So we shall see. But I'm really excited for this NFL season and really no COVID to talk about either. Cam, thank you so much for coming on, brother. I know you're out there on the beach. Have a little Mai Tai, margarita, whatever you're going to have on me, brother. There you go, man. Cheers, brother. All right, that was Cam Rogers. Appreciate him coming aboard, talking about all what's going on with the PGA. Obviously, I'm, I want to see Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau square off, square up in one way or another. That's exactly what this world needs. Give it to me. Just in, put it into my veins. I don't care if it's on the golf course, in the octagon, in the 20 by 20 squared circle. Please give it to me now. We're going to take a quick timeout. We'll wrap up our number one next by looking around the world of baseball, college, and the pros after this right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7 thegamecom 
Texting enrolls you into reoccurring automated text messages. Message and data rates may apply. Come on, one more rep. You got this. Uh, ten. There it is. Nice work, man. You're a beast. <laughs> Thanks, man. I feel better than I have in years. And I got to tell you, taking Nugenics makes a huge difference for me. Nugenics? That's the uh, testosterone booster with TV ads with Frank Thomas. The big hurt, right? Oh, yeah. The patented key ingredient is Testofen, which helps boost free testosterone levels and increase lean muscle mass. Well, it's clearly working for you. Hey, are they still giving out complimentary bottles for people to try for themselves? Yeah, Nugenics is a great way to increase lean muscle and feel stronger with more energy and endurance. Man, I need to get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics. No problem. You just got to send them a text. Text KICK to 321-321 right now for your complimentary bottle of Nugenics, the number one selling free testosterone booster at GNC. Plus, text now and we'll include a bottle of new Nugenics Thermo, our most powerful fat incinerator ever, to help get you back into shape fast, absolutely free. Text KICK to 321-321. That's KICK to 321-321. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules, and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD, who will break it all down for us. Oh, we're most certainly going to break it down, almost like a fraction, what happened last night around the ballparks of MLB, as well as some stuff going on in the Sun Belt Conference of the SEC Tournament. We'll talk about that in just a moment, but the Astros... Had a rough loss last night, 10-3 to last night in extra innings. Yes, you're right, an extra innings ball game that ended as lopsided as it did. Then again, when you watch the Astros and you hear the Astros enough here on 103.7 The Game as well as News Talk 98.5, you, you kind of get used to that kind of stuff because the bullpen has been the drizzling you-know-what, and that was a key reason why they lost in this contest, losing 10-3. to it was just unprecedented type stuff that happened last night. We're going to go ahead and take that time out. Wrap up hour number one. We got hour number two coming your way in just a little bit. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Hey, welcome everybody. Hour number two of two officially underway. We are hoping you have a, a good it's a great Saturday so far, and of course, we are coming to you live from the beautiful Palatial First South Farm Credit Studios. Hear this worldwide. And we appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so, be it through that old school FM dial. He has the tall power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal to man. And then you are talking about the world-famous CD. And, of course, appreciate you listening. And if you're listening through the free mobile app, the .com, 
or anywhere else that you can check us out because we got a lot of different ways to listen in to Acadiana's number one reigning, defending, undisputed world heavyweight champion of sports, radio in Acadiana, and also, I'd say, the undisputed sports talk champion of a Saturday morning. That is yours truly, the world famous, and some might say the clairvoyant CD with the fact that I was able to kind of See this whole thing coming with Paul Maneri's retirement? I mentioned this a while back, like back in April. And I felt like it was going to happen. Lo and behold, it did. But I do also, I want to kind of reset some things that I saw just a moment ago because we ran out of time, got some calls in towards the end of the 10-15 segment, so kind of ran short with a segment because we went long with the opening segment. We went, we went long. That's kind of the goal here sometimes. But I want to get back in a little more detail about the Astros last night. That game was a long one, and more importantly, it was a abysmal performance by the bullpen. Once again, the bullpen is just really what's killing the Astros. Thankfully, they're in a weak division. But case in point, Brooks Raley does it again. Four, or four runs, three of them earned because one of them was an error, but four runs off of three hits to drop to two and three on the year. Then Brandon Belock, just as awful, with a three runs off three hits in one inning of work. Rayleigh didn't even record an out. That's disgusting. And that was, again, a seven-run 11th inning that helped seal the deal for the Padres to win game one of the series. But I will say this. Framber Valdez looked good in his first start back. Was it great? No. But at the end of the day, it was good enough that if the Astros could have gotten things going offensively, they were going to probably wind up winning that contest. It was mind-boggling to me because you had a chance. You tied it up at two all, but you they scratched all around one run off Valdez, and then they scratched one from Javier, and the Astros scored scored two runs in the in regulation, then they scored one the tenth to extend the ball game, but it, then the wheels fell off because of Ryan freaking Presley. It sullied and gave Valdez and Christian Javier as well a no decision. Those two guys put together amazing work. Those two were your heart of your bullpen. Those two guys did phenomenal. Even Ryan Presley did pretty good. Being able to shut him down in the ninth. And then Stanek, you know, he was okay, but he only pitched one inning. But again, Brooks Raley is probably the worst person that you have in the bullpen. He's going to continue to implode, and it boggles the mind that he is still given opportunities to succeed. Like, what is going on there? It was unreal to see that. I was like, what's going on here? Why are we, what are we doing as a society to give him this opportunity? I was like, what was going on there? And now the Astros are going to be trying to win this series. Cause this is, I mean, this is a tough stretch right now because you're playing, and we've talked about it before, this is a stretch where you are going to be tested in more ways than one because right now you just took on the Dodgers. You split a series there. Thank God you did it, especially against Tyler Bauer. He absolutely got destroyed. Now you've got the Padres in a three-game set. You've already lost one. Then you've got the Red Sox and Astros facing off at home. And then the Astros make a road trip up to Toronto or wherever the Blue Jays are playing this year because COVID throws everything off. And then you have 
a day off next Monday, and then you play the Boston Red Sox at Fenway for a three-game trip, for a three-game tilt, and then you play on the road against the Minnesota Twins, who are absolutely bad. Thankfully, that'll be a moment where things kind of let up. You're able to let loose, if you will. But then you got to wind up playing. you got to wind up dealing with another series with a Texas Rangers team that surprisingly beat you, and it's a two-game series again. The schedule's very wonky this year. And then you'll have the three-game set against the Chicago White Sox, which, by the way, if you love the Houston Astros, we gave away one Astros we can get away already. But if you want to see the Houston Astros play the play the Chicago White Sox in on June 18th, it's going to be a big old Saturday, we got a chance for you to do so with the Astros we can get away. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com to score four tickets and a $200 Visa gift card for Houston's home game against the Chicago White Sox on June 19th. So make sure to sign up today. And the Astros Week and Getaways are brought to you by the good folks over at Butcher Air Conditioning, J&J Exterminating, and 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's Sports Station. But yeah, the Astros have a tough stretch ahead of them with some really good teams, including the Boston Red Sox, who have been surprised. They have improved by leaps and bounds, I'd say. 31-20 and 20 on the year, one like half a game back of the Tampa Bay Rays. It's a weird division right now. Like I thought maybe the Yankees would have been better, but the Yankees had a really bad start. They've bounced back. They're 29-22, so they're still a couple games back, but I think they'll they could very well, by the end of June, be leaders in the clubhouse in the AL East. But you're still going to be dealing with a very good Red Sox team, a much improved one at that. You have to deal with that. Meanwhile, the Sunbelt Conference Tournament is going on right now, and you're into the semifinals. UTA and Georgia Southern both advance with UTA taking down Troy 11 to 5 and then a really nice performance from Georgia Southern 9 to 5 win over ULM last night. And now the semifinals are set with South Alabama in about an hour's time going to be taking on the UT Arlington Mavericks and then Georgia Southern is going to be playing the Raging Cajuns with first pitch set and keyword is set for 4 o'clock. Now let's get to the SEC, where it just means more, and it means more of the same. And some top-flight teams squaring off in the semis. Tennessee, Florida in one semifinal. They'll be coming up at noon. And then at 3.30, you have Arkansas, Ole Miss. You're hoping that that could very well be a 1-2 type matchup because that would be a ton of fun. And seeing Arkansas-Tennessee, Arkansas, that would be a clash of the Titans. I know our guy... John Neighbors, the Locked On Hogs podcast, he is absolutely going to be in hog heaven if the Arkansas Razorbacks get it done in the SEC tournament because it's probably going to help them out a lot. They're already secured a national seed in my mind, so I'm almost certain we'll see something like that continue. But we're going to move forward in the LSU softball team. Tough loss for them last night. In, I believe that was extra innings. It was a very much hard-fought contest. Game two of the Super Regional. Four to three was your final LSU women's softball. Their season comes to a disappointing end once again at the hands of a Florida State team that just has been a bugaboo, has been the boogeyman, if you will, for them. Because it feels like, to a certain extent, they could very well be a team that gets in 
to Oklahoma City more years than not, but this year was not the case. Another extra innings affair, losing four to three. They lost one nothing the night before in game one, which was again a very competitive ball game between those two. Shame for Beth Serena's team. Actually, no, that wasn't extra innings. That was a regulation game. It, it felt like an extra innings game, not a, but it was regulation. But big shout out to the crew over at LSU Softball, Beth Serena, getting it done. And I'm seeing this. Michael Caldwell brought this up, WAFB, saying potentially, you know, Cliff Godwin could be an interesting choice for the head coach to take over for Paul Maneri. If you got some thoughts about who you think should be the next head coach, give us a call, 337-706-0111. There is no wrong answer because, honestly, it's all about prediction. And hey, if you get it right, you know, more power to you. We'll, we'll fet you on the air. I'll, I'll make sure to keep tabs on who gets what and, and consider this almost a pool of who you think is going to be your next head coach for the LSU Tigers. We'll talk with Scott Rabelais coming up in about, let's say, 15 minutes. But I also want to bring this up because I saw Claire Langwatch used to cover Cajuns, LSU, everything. For, she used to do sports on KTC TV3. And she tweeted this out yesterday. I was definitely with her in a lot of different senses. She said, quote, forever LSU and all that. She went to LSU, so you know where that's coming from. But she said that Paul Maneri doesn't hold a candle to Coach Robichaud in my book. I agree with her in a, in a lot of different senses. It's not necessarily, you know, the wins and losses. We'll get to that in a second. But looks like we got some calls on the hotline, 337-706-0111. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Clint, bro, I had to call you back and right. call you out about the Bo Nix thing, bro. All right. Hey, got to tell you, hey, guess how many times the Boise State co- uh, quarterback attempt, attempted to run the ball last year? And that's what Bo Nix does the best. Yeah. Zero times. Zero times. So they are going a whole different route. I think he, I think Bo Nix only had like 12 touchdown passes yeah. the whole season yesterday. He's a running quarterback. Uh, Finley's not going there to sit the bench, man. They didn't recruit him hard. Uh, just for him to go there into the bench, man. But I think it's going to be a competition, but it's no. not. Bo Nix in the first round, I don't see that at all, my man. Thank you, B. All right, Chad. So, all right, we're, we're going back to this whole thing. So, for me, yes, Bo Nix, right now, today, he's not a first-round pick. I agree with everybody's thoughts on that wholeheartedly. But I'm saying if he winds up performing to a certain level under Harson, the former Boise State head coach, they, he could very well be in that conversation because it's all about how like it's not about how you perform in the course of a three year career, for the most part in the NFL draft. It's all about how you looked last season. It's all about improving your stock and improving your worth. I think there's every chance where he could wind up getting things done. But when it comes to T.J. Finley, he's got to prove it. He had a awful spring game. He had an awful spring game, and if he has that kind of performance. I guarantee you he might be running the pond. If he has that kind of fall camp, I wouldn't be surprised if he's riding the pond. It's yes, they recruited his ass off. And I agree with you on that. On that front. They recruited him like crazy. Because he wanted somebody that could be a really good competitor. But can he get over the hump and say, Hey, this is where I belong. This is my opportunity. I'm gonna make the most of it. Because if he performs like he did in that spring game, 
good luck, God bless to Auburn football. Good luck, God bless to Brian Hartson his first year. Because I got to agree with you, Chad. You know, he's a lot more of a running quarterback. Whenever he's more of a dual threat, but I think he's more of a true dual threat. Because he only had 108 rushing attempts his sophomore season last year for Auburn for 388 yards. You saw a lot more. You see, you still see him put together really solid. It's solid numbers. And considering the fact you had a very small sample size in the SEC with 11 games versus your typical 12 or 13 like he did his freshman season. His freshman season showed me potential. His sophomore season showed what I think his floor could be. Now, I think the conversation is going to change not too far down the road. I want to see what, what the whole T.J. Finley thing does. I'm going to, I might try and get an Auburn guy on next week because I want to get his thoughts on that and so much more. Get him on the show. Obviously, I probably would have, but I, but the pulmonary story takes over everything. If you got some thoughts on pulmonary, 337-706-0111. But I want to go back to what I was talking about. And for me, and this actually got a lot of traction from a lot of people saying that, you know, Robe greater than pulmonary. And I agree with that take wholeheartedly. And it's simply because of the fact that, for me, it's never going to be about the wins and the losses and the the skins on the wall in terms of this conversation. It's personal bias here, 100%. But in terms of a man that turned these young boys that come into his program and turning them into young men, and making sure that they don't have their identity attached to baseball. That's huge. Yes, he never won a College World Series. He got to one. And at the end of the day, he got a lot of wins over the course of his career. At McNeese, at UL, everywhere in between. Everything that he's done in his career, he's won. But at the end of the day, it's not about the 2,000 wins that he got over the course of his career. It was never about that. It was all about the guys that he helped build. He helped he helped make these guys into men. I'm not saying Pulmonary never did that, because I'm almost certain he did with a lot of these guys. He also was a lot more, to me at least, was much more baseball manager-esque, at least the way he handled things, because he was very diplomatic. If you, if you aren't performing well, especially towards the end of this season, if you aren't performing up to snuff, he's going to go ahead and sit you down. You may never see the field again. That's kind of where it was. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because at the end of the day, the expectations for LSU get to you. And I want to see who's going to take over and how that's going to go. Because that person is going to have a tough time getting towards that mountaintop. But I'm intrigued to see how it's all going to go with LSU and how this football, this baseball team is going to go going forward. Because I'm interested to see how, see the decision that's made and how this team works. For me, I think five to $10 million is the right amount to go get them. Go get whoever you need to get. At least it's just, that is my opinion. If you got to call 337-706-0111, it's under the, under the dome with CD. We'll be back after this right here on Acadiana Sports Station. 1037 the game and 1037thegame.com.
From the preps to the pros and everywhere in between. I gave it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Let's get back under the dome with the world-famous CD on Acadiana's Sports Station. 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. we got Scott Rabelais coming on in about, let's say, five to seven minutes or so. Okay. That had this be a real quick segment because I want to get to some of the stuff happening that happened last night across the NBA, especially you know game, especially what happened with the Celtics and the Nets last night. Celtics had a one hell of a ball game after what it looked like the Nets were taking control early on. This was just a complete beatdown by the Celtics towards the end of the ball game, and the Nets rally. I'll give them credit. Outscoring in the fourth quarter, 35-29. But the Celtics cut into the series lead 2-1. So don't count them out just yet. They're, they won 125-119 last night. Meanwhile, all the other series have been starting to get a little more interesting, especially the the games that played on Friday night. Because I think it's safe to say some of these, like the Milwaukee Bucks Heat series, that's done. That's already been decided. That's already predetermined. Because the Bucks are absolutely have killed the last like gasp of air from the Heat. There's no way they're going to bounce back from a 3-0 loss. 3-0 series deficit. The Nuggets, the Lakers, all those are 2-1 series. All of them. The Hawks, Knicks, that's a 2-1. And you've also got I believe, yeah, the Clippers, Mavericks is 2-1. You got Sixers and Wizards with Philadelphia leading the series 2-0. I'm almost certain they're going to wind up sweeping that one, at least in my mind. Jazz and Grizzlies is the only one currently still knotted up at one all. Those are all the games going on tonight. And then Sunday, you've got the Knicks, Suns, Celtics, and the Clippers-Mavericks series. Though I think Sunday's going to be a lot more fun in my mind, but then again, I'm going to be more focused on some other stuff this coming weekend in sports, especially the SEC Championship. And at the K... I, I really feel like the Cages have every chance to win the Sunbelt Conference Championship. And for Kevin Foote's sake, I'm hoping it's not a situation where he's making that drive over to Montgomery, Alabama. I'm certain he's there by now. I would hope so. But I'm hoping he's not just driving there, he sits down, goes cover a game, and then he's got to drive right back the next day. Because that would be absolutely the most disappointing thing ever. To see, like I, I would be absolutely apoplectic if I were a guy like Kevin Foot having to make the trip over. I'm sure we'll hear about it all on footnotes from nine to eleven on Monday. But of course, that's future talk. I mean, I think the Cages have every chance to get it done. Looking at what happened with the NBA last night, I got to think that the Heat—they're cooked tonight. They are absolutely just. Checked out, they're going home. The heat's going to be turned up on them. I'm I'm surprised at the fact that Nuggets are ahead of the Trailblazers leading the series 2-1. to one. That just feels like a recipe for the Blazers to even the series up at 2 all. Now that it is in Portland, it's in the Moda Center, this is going to be a really fun... I think that's going to be the, the matchup I'm looking forward to the most. I could say, you know, Sixers and Wizards because that's still... That's moving over to our nation's capital. Could the game change a little bit? I'm not. I don't necessarily think so. I think Nuggets Trailblazers is the matchup to watch this afternoon. Of course, you can go Jazz Grizzlies as well because those two teams 
are performing really well, but I feel like Dame Dalla has to wake up and perform in a big way. The dude has been absolutely damn near MVP level for the last couple of years. I'm intrigued to see how that's going to go. But I'm just seeing this now, that they've updated the projections for D1 Baseball's Field of 64. And according to this, LSU is one of the last five in. And they were originally going to be in the Ruston Regional from some of the stuff I saw last week. But now they're going to be possibly heading westward to Austin as the three seed taking on Charlotte while Texas will take on Army. That'd be a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie. to be able to put that together. Again, I don't know exactly necessarily how that's going to work out. Now it's apparently, you know, the, the host sites. Ruston's not even a consideration now. Makes sense. But LaTex will be headed to Ole Miss, taking on North Carolina in the Oxford Regional. But I'm definitely intrigued to see how that goes. In terms of the Cajuns, obviously they need to win the Sunbelt Conference to get in. And it'll be fun to see how they kind of shape up. Because I'm not even see, I'm, I'm doing a little look at it. So South Alabama is currently pegged as the four seed in the Hattiesburg Regional against Southern Miss which I'm sure the Cajuns would love, and I'm using that term sarcastically as all get out, would love to be facing off against South, excuse me, Southern Miss again. That is, of course, if they win. They're playing Georgia Southern later today. The Cajuns, by the way, have been looking really good in the tournament, more on the offensive side. The defensive side has been the biggest bugaboo. They need to have a big turnaround on the on the defensive side because they've had three errors in the last two games. I'm talking like three in game one of the tournament where they absolutely crushed the face in of Texas State, a, a team that was very much, we're done for the year, let's just go ahead and go home. Then they beat up on App State in a good way with a 7-2 win that was highlighted by a grand slam in the eighth from everybody's favorite Benny Bombs, Ben Fitzgerald, who's been on another level this season. But I think this is they've been able to hit the ball extremely well. But three errors, and if you're up against a team that's also kind of hot as well, I mean, I brought it up earlier. Georgia Southern had a 9-5 win yesterday. Nine runs. I'm almost certain after not having a day off, I'm sure maybe that changes, especially based off the foot theory. Because the foot theory is, if you wind up having double-digit hits and you have a big performance offensively, it's gonna you're gonna be like the lights are gonna be off the entire game on Saturday or the next day. Tournament rules, I don't, I think those don't apply. I think the tournament just changes things entirely, especially because of the fact they had a day off before that. Now it's all about how things are gonna shape up. I'm, I don't know exactly who they're going to pitch off top, but I'm almost certain it's going to be. I believe he even said it, but I'm I'm like 99% certain it's Carter Robinson because it's all about advancing to the finals, and then Carter Robinson is your best-case scenario. I wouldn't be surprised if Spencer Arigetti could be available as a bullpen guy because I think that's what they're going to use him in this tournament format for. And then you've got Connor Cook. Connor Cook is very much going to be pitching the championship game. That's why when he pitched a handful of innings in a game that was meaningless, this was everything worked out perfectly for the Cajuns to win the championship because they have some of the best offensive guys out there. They got their best pitchers. Connor Cook still 
relatively speaking, fresh. You've got the offense clicking. Does he minimize the errors? And I think they can win against Georgia Southern later this afternoon at 3 o'clock. Or whatever that is actually going to start. And then you've also got what's going on with the Cajuns. And if they play like South Alabama or UTA, I, I, it's going to be good luck, God bless against South Alabama, but UTA is very much feasible. UTA is a feasible matchup. That and I feel like the Cajuns are a lot better team than whenever they played South Alabama last. They're a lot fresher. They're a lot hotter. That's the key word when it comes to a lot of these tournament matchups and tournament play as well as regional play. We'll see what happens there. Then we'll see where LSU and the Cajuns kind of land on selection Monday. But we're going to take a quick timeout. We'll talk about LSU baseball. Not necessarily as much their chances of making it into the LSU to a regional or the NCAA tournament, but more about Paul Maneri next right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Major League Baseball is back, and it's time for a tradition like none other. Old school baseball guys arguing with the analytical crowd on why RBI should still be relevant. Show us that million dollar arm, because I got a, well, I got a good idea about that five cent head of yours. No, but seriously, what the heck is war? Yeah. What? Who comes up with this stuff? You're killing me, Smalls. Now, back to more baseball talk here on 1037 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Oh, we're definitely getting into some more baseball talk, especially when it comes to Paul Maneri. He announced his retirement yesterday afternoon at a big old press conference. And to do that, we're going to go to the 1037 Game Hotline, talk with Scott Rabelais. Scott, how's it going? I'm good. How are you guys this morning? I'm doing good, doing good, and I'm definitely, you know, we need to kind of get into brass tacks about it. How surprised were you about the news? Uh, I don't think the news that Paul has decided to retire was a surprise. We've been hearing that for a, a long time. It's been kind of, uh, you know, like a like a Baton Rouge, parlor game in Baton Rouge. Is he going to retire? Is he going to retire? The timing of it was a little surprising that, yeah, there's, they, they got bounced from the SEC tournament, but they're still alive uh, for an NCAA tournament bid. But um, but to that end, I think uh, his retirement was timed, uh, at least in part, to make it, send a message to the uh, committee. They all the the selection committee. They all know who Paul Maneri is. They know his what he's done in his career, and that he didn't you know announce before the season that hey, I'm doing a final farewell tour. And uh, I think it will weigh heavily on the, the committee just to um, to put LSU in the tournament. I, I think beforehand I would have said they're probably not going to make it. Now I think they probably will. That's what I was going to ask you because I think obviously some people think they already were in it before they even set foot in Hoover, Alabama. I was kind of thinking the same thing, especially the fact that you got to 13 wins. It seems kind of like a magic number for some SEC teams to get into the tournament. And now after the lost Ar- to uh, not Arkansas, Georgia, on Tuesday, that probably loomed a little bit larger than some might think. I'm almost certain that's going to wind up weighing heavily on people's minds heading into the selection Monday. I'm almost certain that now it's pretty much rubber stamped in, right? Well, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, they, they were really on the bubble, you know, before yesterday's announcement. 
and I think you still have to consider them to be their RPI keeps sliding a little bit this morning. The NCAA RPI is down to 29, down from 27. Um, before this, going back to 99, when they expanded the tournament to 64 teams and added the super regional format, only 36% of SEC teams that won 13 games in conference made the NCAA tournament. So that's, you know, one in three, basically. So that's not great odds uh, in terms of that. And then you had Alabama win a couple of games in, in Hoover. Uh, I, I think they're, I think they're done now. Their RPI is still below LSU's. They're like at 34. So I, I think, I think it, does, it certainly enhances LSU's chances, but I wouldn't say it's, it, it's a, it's a lock, but I think it's, uh, I definitely think it's a lot better. And it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, you know, if, if, if you see their name, when you see the South Bend, Indiana regional pop up, Notre Dame is RPI number 10. So they're going to be hosting a regional. Well, probably won't be a national seed. Wouldn't surprise me, Paul, having having coached a long time in Notre Dame before coming to LSU, that they send the Tigers to South Bend as like a number three seed. Just go ahead and set it up, be a full circle type thing where Paul Maneri has his possibly final games be played in Notre Dame. I think that'd be one hell of a way to go out. But I want to go back to the SEC tournament and the fact they lost to Georgia. The way that they did with that 4-1 loss, allowing four runs in the first inning, a double play could have very well have made it a lot more competitive of a ball game. But at the end of it, like how how shocked were you to see that team lose in the opening game of the SEC tournament, something that they had never done before? Yeah, LSU had never gone 0-1 in the SEC tournament. They, they had... Uh... They've gone 0 and 2 three times, but uh, in, under this format, they've never gone gone one and done. Um, a little shocking, just because they've never done it. But I mean, this, this is a team that has played better down the stretch. You know, I think they won four of their last five SEC series. Never swept anybody. Got swept one time uh, this year uh, by by Vandy, but um, it was a very LSU kind of loss. You know, you know something they, they, it was a game they could have they could have won. They could have built on that first first inning. You know, they had the bases loaded. Get a run off a double play ball, only get the one run. Loads the bases in the eighth. Couldn't get anything off of that. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Georgia loads the bases. Elsie has a, a well, they ruled the field of choice, but it's basically a throwing error by by Collier Cranford. I'm sorry to say, uh, the short arms a throw to, to to first, and it leads to a, a bases clearing double two innings later, uh, two batters later. So it was a very LSU like loss. This team's got. Some some great players, you know, I, I wouldn't say they don't. People like Landon Marceau and and Troy Morgan and Dylan Cruz, and I guess you could you could, you could throw in Fontenot as well. He's been pitching better lately, but a lot of holes in the lineup. Uh, so you know, very thin. You know, Cranford was playing second because uh, Verbianco had to go to center field because Giovanni Giacomo was out with a hamstring injury. <laughs> it's just like a domino effect. They can't afford anything like that. So I, I wouldn't expect even to get in the NCAA tournament that they get out of a regional. I think it would be a, a real a real shocker. I know everyone does an expectation always with LSU. Well, they're going to go to Hoover and they're going to make a run. They're going to go in the NCAA tournament and make a run towards Omaha. I don't think that's the case. I think just making a tournament and giving them at least two more games under Maneri, hopefully more than that, uh, for his sake, would, would be an achievement this year. That's kind of what I'm thinking, too. I would love to see Paul Maneri make a, one last like real run to Omaha, but it just feels like so unlikely, largely because of the fact that you've got three really good pitchers, but outside that, it feels like there's nothing really decisive if you wind up having to play through the loser's bracket to get up to the championship final and then have to beat the winner's bracket two out of three. It feels like it's an uphill climb once you get past your top three guys. 
Yeah, I mean, Marceau is, has been terrific. I mean, he made one bad pitch, basically, against Georgia, shut them down. They're, they're a complete game the rest of the way. A.J. Labus has been very good a lot of times, but not lately. Mikhail Hilliard has been a lot better of lately uh, of late as the third starter. You know, they, they were struggling to find someone after Jaden Hill had lost the season with his, his arm injury. And then, like I said, you have uh, Fontenot and some other, some other pitchers, Coleman, some other guys coming out, uh, coming out of the bullpen who are, who are uh, making good contributions. So I wouldn't say that they're, you know, that, that they couldn't do that. But, um, I, I think again, it's, it's just so, and look, we've seen number four seeds make it all the way to Omaha. Uh, you know, Stony, look at Stony Brook, right? Remember, people remember Stony Brook. They beat, they were the yep. number four seed in Miami, won that regional, came to Baton Rouge for the super regional. No one thought they could win and ended up beating LSU to go to the College World Series. We've seen Fresno State win as a number four seed in a regional starting out. It can happen and you can, you know, that's the beauty of tournament ball, right? I mean, you know, you can, you can have these teams just put it all together. They haven't shown a lot of propensity to put it all together for a really long run. That said, there are some pieces there if they could do. If they're highly motivated, I mean, everybody knows what's happening, right? Coach LSU's, LSU loses two more games if they get in the tournament. That's it for Coach, uh, Coach Ranieri's career. I imagine they're going to be highly motivated to go out there and try to get him as far as they can. Kind of like when, when Florida State came to LSU two years ago. It was Mike Martin's last season. Everybody knew it. And they beat LSU in the Super Regional in Baton Rouge. So, I think you could see something like that, but but it's uh, still the odds are longer than making a, a long run, in my opinion. You brought up you brought up Mike. That's exactly where I was kind of going with with that correlation because everybody kind of knew everybody knew what was going on. Everybody knew it was the last ride, and it just felt like that team was pretty much. I was saying it yesterday: win one for the Gipper type mentality to win one more for the Skipper in Palmineri to help him get back to Omaha one more time. Obviously, it'd be tougher than the win the national championship that year. But I would love to see something like that actually happen where he wound up getting to Omaha. But I want to flip it over to the conversation about the future at LSU baseball because I think I've got a lot of questions throughout the show. First off, who do you think could be a prime candidate in your mind to be the head coach at LSU after Maneri? Uh, you, there's been a lot of talk about Kevin O'Sullivan, the coach at Florida. Obviously, he's led them to a national championship. They beat LSU in the final in, 2019, in 2017. Uh, been to the World Series several other times. They've had a lot of great players come through that program. Why would somebody leave Florida to come to LSU? Yeah, the, the fans before there is not as good uh, for baseball, uh, certainly. Uh, and uh, LSU is still, you know, LSU is still a marquee job. It's still one of the greatest jobs out there. Um, you've heard the name of uh, you know, Jim Schlossnagel. He's coach at Tulane. He's at TCU. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's, his name's being mentioned at, uh, at uh, the, the Texas A&M opening as well. He's saying, I'm, never, I, I'm staying at TCU. I'm not interested. Of course, you know, coaches say that. You know, Nick Saban, oh, I'm yeah. never going to Alabama. I guess I'll just have to say it, right? <laughs> you know, they, yeah. they say these things all the time, as we know. Um, you know, I, I think uh, someone texted me this morning asking me about uh, would uh, – Mike Bianco, the former LSU catcher and assistant, uh, who was a longtime coach at Ole Miss, would he be a, a player? They've been to one World Series when they beat the Cajuns. Uh, people, I'm sure, remember that Super Regional yep. uh, when they when they won, and that's the only time they've been in about 20 years. He's been a coach there. I think he's definitely a a fallback person. Um, Cliff, uh, Cliff Godwin, I think, would definitely take the job. He's a coach at ECU, done a good job. Over there, uh, they, they've you know they've had a nationally ranked program in you know, most years. I, I don't know what he's making, probably making half a million dollars a year or something yeah. like that. Something else you could easily outbid. Former LSU assistant, 
And then yeah, I, I think I think people are going to try to pry uh, Vitello, this young coach out of uh, Tennessee. Uh, yeah, Tennessee's obviously they're a national seed this year. Yeah, they don't traditionally have a, a strong baseball program, and obviously he's done a great job there. So that he was very popular, uh, a popular choice to be the coach of Missouri when he was the, the pitching coach there, but they let him go. Um, surely Tennessee has money, and they will try to lock him up. But, but again, that's not a great baseball place. You know, it's not like Neyland Stadium for football or something. So I think those are some of the names to watch. Uh, I, I will say this: you know, obviously Scott Woodward has a reputation of making big hires. Uh, um, uh, because uh, Peterson uh, got take from Boise State to, yep. to Washington, Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, Buzz Williams, and of course now Kim Mulkey, and um, coming to LSU from Baylor. And uh, it, it, once LSU is done, I would expect this to move very quickly. If it's not a, a coach of a team whose team is obviously still playing in the NCAA tournament, that could that could drag drag things out more than normal with Scott Woodward. But once things are set in place, he usually knows where he's wanting to go with a hire, and he's made a made a uh, a career of, of uh, making big hires, and this is uh, another really big one that he has a chance to make uh, this time. Oh, it could be one of the biggest, Scott. And I think without a, I mean, I got a question as well earlier in the show. What what kind of money range are we talking here? Be able to get somebody to come over? Be you know, I think Kevin O'Sullivan you brought up. I think that's going to be more. Is in my mind, I have like five to ten million dollar range. I think ten may be pie in the sky because I think if you're going to get somebody like O'Sullivan. You're going to have to back up the Brinks truck to get him to come over. Same thing, I'd say, to a certain extent with Tennessee's head coach. Schlossnagel as well, if he's committed saying, I'm going to stick around at TCU, you might have to pay, you might have to fork over a few more dinero to get him to come over. Oh, yeah. I mean, Paul was making around 1.2, 1.3. You're probably going to have to do more than that to get a lot of these guys to come. I mean, would they pay upwards of $2 million? I, I don't know. Supposedly, the coach at Vandy. Uh, is making uh, more than two million. I, I don't think they're going after him. He's older and and he's in a great situation at Vanderbilt. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to have to be more money. I mean, you know, it's going to be Kim Mulkey money. <laughs> you know? yeah. I don't know. Is that two and a half million a year? I don't think so. But it, it, it's probably going to have to be at least what Minari was making or more. So uh, if you want a really good coach, LSU fans, they're probably going to be asked to pony up a little more uh, for those baseball tickets uh, in the future. All right, one more question for you, Scott, before I let you go. It's more about – he mentioned how he's got the bucket list and wants to go to the Masters. Do you think you'll get a call from Paul Maneri about a road trip to the Masters? I would love that. I think that would that would be great. Uh, you know, uh, he's never been. Uh, that would be a, a great – we could do like a daily diary or something like that. You know, Paul's uh, first first trip to the Masters. I, I, I would love that. <laughs> but I'm <laughs> almost certain, awesome. like, he'd, uh, he'd be the first – you'd be the first – he'd be yeah. – You'd be the first person he'd call to be able to pull that off because, I mean, he knows that you've been out there multiple times and you're probably already kind of getting ready to be at the Masters in 2022. Oh, yes. I, I'm ready. I've got, a, I've got a story lined up. You know, Next year is the 10th anniversary of the Bubba Watson's shot out of the trees uh, in 2012. And then, of course, the Sam Burns. It's going to be Sam Burns' first time at the Masters, the you know, former LSU All-American. So, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, already, I'm already ready for, for next year's tournament. No, no question. Scott, thank you so much for coming on on a Saturday. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you down the road. My pleasure, guys. Uh, y'all take care. Thank you. All right, that was Scott Rabelais of The Advocate. We're going to wrap up the show next. Got one final take and something I've been looking forward to talking about for a good while. We're going to take a quick time out back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game, 103.7 The Game.com.
just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game. The famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. I got to say, this is a happy day. Or it's been a happy week because I saw some news pop up that got me all kinds of riled up. And it's the fact that we can be betting on sporting events as early as the fall. According to Senate President Paige Cortez, this could happen before the end of football season. Please let this be before we even get started with football season. We need to get those over-under bets in. By the way, hammer down on them. Uh, ULM over-under one-and-a-half wins. I take the on Right now, I would take the under on LSU eight-and-a-half. But at the same time, I'm like, give me some time to do a little more research, and I'll be able to give you a true, unbiased opinion on that aspect. Meanwhile... We also got to bring up the fact that we're getting that and casinos are absolutely going to be one of the first people to get it. It's like 20 licenses for sports books. So casinos, racetracks will be given the first kind of chance. So trust me, I might be making regular stops. I'm about 10, 15 minutes down, down the road in Opelousas from the first South Farm Credit Studios to go ahead and, and place some bets after the show more toward more or maybe do that on a Friday night that way I can get them in for the weekend and I can enjoy some good old-fashioned parlays we'll see we'll see but that's about all I got for the show today we'll be back with you at this time each and every single Louisiana Saturday morning from 9 to 11 right after first cup so hopefully you enjoyed the first of what's hopefully many shows on a Saturday. Until then, we'll see you next week. we got a lot to get to next week because we'll have the NCAA baseball tournament in full swing. Is LSU going to be in it? Don't know yet, but we'll find out soon enough. Until next week, peace!